Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 161, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. And me, Ravi Abbott. And welcome to this week's show. Now, today we are going to be joined by, um, I need to call him an old friend then, he probably wouldn't appreciate that, (laughs) a very dear friend of the show, and that is Neil from the YouTube channel Retro Man Cave. Now, you might be thinking, haven't you had Neil on the show before? We did an episode with him probably about a year ago. But at the time, you know, his channel was really just taking off then. And we thought, you know, a year later, it would be a good opportunity to catch up with him again and kind of get some updates on where he's at now. Yeah, because the great thing about Neil's channel is now he's doing collaborations. And a lot of the collaborations are kind of with his supporters and patrons and guys that are doing the background stuff in the channel. And we've got Andrew Dalton and Gary Pinkett on today. So we're going to have a nice, cool casual kind of chat and we're going to talk about some really interesting stuff like they've been doing collaborations with time travelers they've been <laughs> looking at the sharp 68k which is uh, an awesome system that we've never really talked about before big in japan but not over here and actually we're going to get some tips because we've heard about this before that kind of you know if you want to collect folks i know you were at one stage you were collecting for the sega saturn weren't you yeah yeah and then you're thinking a lot of these games only came out in japan and there are ways, and we've kind of heard this, you know, on the grapevine, that there are ways to kind of import games from Japan. Well, apparently they're all still using Yahoo. Yeah. Which is amazing. I didn't even know Yahoo existed apart from a few people using kind of old Yahoo emails. So. Yeah, Yahoo have got a bidding service, apparently, like eBay. That's really big in Japan. So we're going to get a few tips on um, Japanese imports of any systems or games from over there that you'd like to get into the UK or US or wherever you live and you want to get those games imported at a good price. Got a few tips on that coming up with Gary. And also going to be chatting about some kind of really random stuff as well, like the Sega LaserDisc player. That oh, Neil's the Laser Active, <laughs> yes, which was an incredibly amazing piece of kit. You could basically have a LaserDisc in there, you yep. could have Mega CD, you could do all of them, and then you could have these little add-on units that you could add in, so you could have loads of different systems on there, and even Mega Drive LaserDiscs. I never even knew they existed. <laughs> Imagine if your mate came around the house and you're like, bring some Mega Drive games, and he turned up with his LaserDiscs. <laughs> That's not going to fit in my Mega CD. Yeah, just banging it into the cartridge slot. <laughs> so it's a pretty informal episode this week, but it's going to be loads of fun. Just going to be chewing the fat, really, uh, with Neil from Retro Man Cave, Andrew Dalton, and Gary Pinkett coming up on the Retro Hour podcast in around 15 minutes from now. Now, also, we've got some really interesting news about a game by Thalamus. You remember we did an episode last oh, year? Oh, yeah, yeah. We've had a request from quite a few listeners to actually cover this game. Now, there's a new game coming out, and also it's had a very interesting update because it just got backed on Kickstarter tonight at the time of recording this show. And we need to talk about some new Dreamcast controllers in a minute Ooh. as well. It looked really nice. Now, before we get into the show, let's just take a moment to thank the people who make it possible for us to come in here and bring you the latest in retro gaming news and guests every week on the show, and that is our loyal donators. Now, we do have a little section on our new website at theretrohour.com, um, a little button there called Supporters. In there, there's a PayPal link, and we accept donations of any amount, and you will get a mention on the show in a future episode. And the reason we do this is because it really does help us out with the show. It really does, yeah. You know, we occasionally have sponsors on this, but we'd never fill it with adverts or anything like that, and it's always going to be free. Yep. And we can do this because, you know, you guys help us with site costs and all of the background stuff. Exactly. So um, any amount that we're getting, I really, really appreciate it, guys. It really means a lot to us. And, of course, you will find your place in the very prestigious 
Retro Hour Hall of Fame. Like this week, thank you so much to... Our good friend Frank Elvind Rundholt. Edward Sanguinetti. Sebastian Kierman and Simon Buckner who all made donations into the running of the show and you can do the same you'll find that link in the supporters page of the retrohour.com you're a big fan of the Sega Dreamcast I absolutely loved the Dreamcast yeah it was such a, a, a good system that was ahead of its time you know it could have done so well if it just had that DVD drive oh, I think that was what held it back I think it was yeah <laughs> well some people didn't like the controller either I didn't mind the Dreamcast controller I quite liked it actually um, yeah, I didn't... The thumb sticks were a bit loose sometimes. The analog like stick on some it. of them, yeah, the analog stick. But I, I quite liked it, yeah. And I loved the VMU inside it. I thought that was a, such a cool little feature. See, the Dreamcast controller to me, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm quite a typical retro gamer, which is, it's a bit weird in a way, because my hands are not that big. I wouldn't yeah. say I've got <laughs> massive gammon hands or anything, but well, you know. Well, they were like the Duke controllers yeah. later on, weren't they? they the Duke controllers were based on them, and they, uh, kind of. It looks like they were influenced by it, I think you're right. And, um, and it's that kind of big grip, wasn't it, that you had to have? Well, I got one of the um, you know, the remade Duke controllers. I put it on our Instagram the other week. And I've been playing um, Xbox One games with that, and that feels so comfortable in my hand. Yeah. I've always liked really big controllers, bizarrely, which, like I said, it's weird that I haven't got really big hands. But I'll tell I, you I what I didn't like on the Dreamcast one, the shoulder buttons. They were always a bit weird. Oh, them kind of flimsy triggers, yeah, I yeah. remember. Yeah, well, the thing about it is, I mean, it's kind of the Dreamcast controller has always been a little bit hit or miss. And now it turns out if you don't like the Dreamcast controller, the one thing I really hated about it is... The fact that the cable kind of came out the top and you had to wrap it around the bottom. Oh, yeah, it, it used to have a little, like, groove yeah. that you'd actually put the cable in at the bottom just yeah. to hold it in place. That that was a bad design, that was, yeah. Let's make the cable come out the other end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But now a lot of these problems with the Dreamcast controller have been remedied by a brand-new Dreamcast controller that they're saying is built for comfort. Now, this is um, a group of guys called Retro Fighters, and they've made a next-gen Dreamcast controller. And it uses a lot of the kind of design of the original. We've got the same colour buttons. You've got, you know, everything's the same in terms of the stick layout and everything and the button layout. You get the VMU in there as well. You can put the rumble pack in too. But actually, it looks a lot more like a modern controller, something like an Xbox or a, a Switch controller. Yeah, it looks exactly like the kind of smoothness on it. You know, it was very triangular, wasn't it, the old... Um... Dreamcast one, but the the smoothness on the legs of it really looks like an Xbox One modern controller at the moment, and they've got some really cool features with this actually. Because you'll have to remember they didn't have rumble in the original no. ones. You get the rumble packs and that huge thing with your VMU in there as well. It weighed a bit, didn't it? With all be, of it? <laughs> yeah, really heavy. So this one actually has rumble, and it does still support the visual uh, memory unit. Yeah, and it apparently took them 18 months of research and development to even get, you know, the first prototype made. So they've, you know, put a lot of time and effort into this as well. And it's in that Dreamcast kind of colour scheme as well. You know, it, well, the thing is, it probably wouldn't match my Dreamcast because my Dreamcast is like... Um, yellow. <laughs> yeah, Smoker's Yellow, I think it's called now, isn't it? You know, we've been talking about YouTube actually in a minute, aren't we, obviously, with with Neil and the crew. One of the first YouTube videos I remember watching of yours was when you retro-brighted your Dreamcast. Yeah, that's returned back. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like been so long that it's gone yellow again, actually. I think you need to spray it with some anti-UV stuff or something. But another thing that they're saying is uh, it's got turbo functionality as well. 
Wow, okay. Which is pretty awesome. You can do your old turbo buttons. Well, at the time of recording this, I mean, uh, well, the episode comes out on Friday. There'll be 19 days left on their Kickstarter. And they wanted a really reasonable amount to make these. They only wanted £9,000. Oh, wow. And they've now made uh, nearly £70,000. So okay. there's obviously demand for uh, a new Dreamcast controller. I'm looking at these as well, and I'm thinking I, I, I want some of these. Even though I do like the original controller, I just know that, you know, when I've got them playing with friends and stuff, not everyone does like it. Well, have you seen the mad amount of stuff for the Dreamcast at the moment? So they're doing replacement Dreamcast cases. Yeah. So you can get full cases. If you don't that, want to retrobrite it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then you can, But they're like brand new designs as well. They look really slick. Mm. And then you can also get the GD uh, ROM emulator yeah. in there. So you run it off SD card. So you'd have a brand new Dreamcast SD card with brand new controllers looking in a kind of Brand new box. It's See, pretty insane. The, the ones I've seen, though, you have to take out the, the drive there, don't you? Which I would love a solution where you can have both a GD-ROM drive in there and an yeah, SD. Yeah, I, I think that's like the weakest link, yeah. that, that GD-ROM. They're the ones that always go first because if they read normal burnt disks, something happens with them where they're like, ah, we It's bad like, for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I love the sound of them, though. They're really noisy, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the sound of my Dreamcast. I love a comment on this um, article in Kotaku as well. This guy goes, charlatans, you're not playing a Sega console if the controller isn't harming you in some way. <laughs> <laughs> so if you do want to get a hold of these, it is running on Kickstarter now. It's already been you know, funded way over what they wanted, so it is going to happen. I'll put a link in this week's show notes at theretrohour.com. Now, let's talk about this new game from Thalamus. Obviously, Commodore 64 Legends back in the day. We did a, a whole episode with um, Andy Roberts about Thalamus yeah. about, about a year ago, was it? Well, there's a new game coming out called Lunark. And have you checked out the video that they've released, a little trailer of this? Uh, no, I've not seen it yet. But it looks really good. So essentially, it's, um, it's inspired by games like Prince of Persia, Another World, and Flashback. Okay. So we're talking rotoscoping animation. Oh, nice. Uh, do you remember that technique? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of tracing the uh, actual bodily movements of somebody. Yeah. But this looks fantastic. It, it looks very like Flashback. They're kind of running and jumping and grabbing, but it's a lot more big pixels. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it definitely got that kind of modern pixel art kind of look to it, hasn't it? Um, which is quite... I, I was actually reading randomly the other day. I was on archive.org, and I think I found an old issue of um, ST Formatter magazine, you know, about the Atari ST. Yeah. And they had a whole feature in there um, about when Prince of Persia came out. It was all about how rotoscoping happens, and they're showing it broken down, about a five-page article it was. Oh, nice. All about rotoscoping. So it's actually a lot harder to do than it looks from what I read in that feature. Now, this has been running on Kickstarter, and at the time we're doing the show, we're recording it on Thursday night, quite late this week, and the Kickstarter ends tonight. So by the time the show comes out, it's going to be finished. Okay. But luckily... How's it has, done? It has been funded. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so it's, it's made its goal. And the thing they promised is, if it does get funded, they're not just going to release it on modern systems, they're going to port it to the Commodore 64. Oh, that's cool. And the Spectrum next. Wow. I, I guess, like, they're also saying the Switch. Yeah. And uh, Apple and Windows machines as well. But I guess... That will probably be quite easy to do with emulated stuff now, and especially it being a 2D game. Maybe you just have to take a few elements out of it that wouldn't be uh, available, like probably shading and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it looks like, you know, a retro system could could handle that. I'd imagine the Spectrum Next could do it in its sleep, you know. I've seen that um, Mike Daly's Lemmings demo yeah, on there, yeah. which, uh, you know, looks really good. But it is cool that they are porting it to the old systems as well, including, you know, the Commodore 64, which, to me, Thalamus is Commodore 64. 
you know. Oh, totally. Yeah. So that's really awesome. And if you want to check this game out, I mean, it looks, I mean, I love Flashback anyway. I was playing it again not long ago and it's still one of my all-time favourite games. I know. How many copies of Flashback have you bought? Because I, I'm sure you've probably got one on the Switch, one on this, one on that, yeah. I've got the anniversary collection on the yeah, Switch. I've even yeah. got the Wii U version. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've probably bought that game about 10 times, I imagine, and, and I'll be buying this as well because it looks really cool. Now, we're talking about the Dreamcast a moment ago. Were you ever a fan of Space Channel 5? Now, I used to play Jet Set Radio and Jet Set Radio Future, which was really cool because they had the dancing, graffiti, crazy style and loads of really cool music. And I know that Space Channel 5 was like, was it part of that kind of world? Yeah, it was a similar kind of, it came out around the same time, 99, I think the original came out. It was a music video game where, you know, it's a a TV channel on like a spaceship from what I remember. Oh, cool. And and they have to like outdance aliens and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, I remember the logo was like a weird... Uh, kind of beaming thing, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a very unique game. Like like lots of things on the Dreamcast, it was stuff that you'd never seen before and really just existed in that kind of space, really. Now, there was um, a lady who went by the name Apollo Smile and she did the voice for um, the main character, Olala, in okay. Space Channel 5. Now, at the moment, they're going to be doing a, a group called Team Grounding and they are the developers behind a new version of Space Channel 5, which is going to be for the PlayStation VR. Oh, that's cool. The thing about it is, they want to get the proper voice back. So they're looking for the actress, the voiceover, who did the voice in the original game. And they've had this kind of mission. They've been all over Reddit. They've been all over Twitter, trying to track her down because no one's really spoke to her since, like, you know, the game came out. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it seems to be edging on stalking. <laughs> yeah, like, at the moment, I've looked at it and it's like, the first attempt was at this year. Yeah. She's ignored any attempts to be contacted. We're trying again. And it's like, bloody hell, leave her alone. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it would be cool to have her doing the voice again on the new version. Yeah, yeah, so I see why. And, you know, the fact that she hasn't really done the gaming stuff for a while. I think in this modern world, though, if you know, we're talking about it, it's on Reddit and that kind of thing. Eventually, if it she w- does want to do it, someone who knows her will hear about it. Yeah, yeah, it will find a way back to her. She probably already knows about it, to be honest. Yeah, so She's that- probably reading the article going, oh, no, there's gaming nerds. <laughs> <laughs> Thought I got away from them 20 <laughs> years ago. Uh, but I, I think it's called cool the remake in that game as well. I oh, yeah, that, yeah, uh, that would be cool. Uh, it's, it's interesting because there's quite a few games coming out for the PlayStation VR that are really good and they're not coming out for the Oculus or the HTC, so I'm a bit lost. I found a, a very dodgy way of um, running Oculus games on my Vive so I can play, finally play Polybius. Oh, you get a bigger game library. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Polybius is awesome. Yeah, really good. Now, were you fun of Dr. Mario? Yeah, it was, it was all right. It was kind of like a little... That was like a little Tetris-y kind of game, wasn't it? Or like Minsky's Furball was one of your favourites. Yeah, well, it was... Um, I remember my mate had it on a, on a Game Boy, I think, or maybe a NES. We, we used to play it years ago, probably. When did that game come out? Like early 90s, I think yeah, it was yeah. originally. And yeah, it was like a puzzle game, very much in the vein of something like Tetris. And uh, Mario was a doctor, quite randomly, and he had to kind of line up the capsules, the little pills that fell down, and get the colours matched end to end. Yeah. So a colour matching puzzle game, really. But again, like all of those games, it was like, um, have you ever heard of a syndrome called um, Tetrisitis? No. This is where this is where you play a game like Tetris for so long, you lie in bed at night and close your eyes and you're still seeing it. <laughs> well, there might be a few people playing Tetris 99 doing the uh, Battle Royale stuff at the moment. Not like that. <laughs> well, I mean, this was a game that did that to you as well. Okay. After you played it for an hour or so, you're still like seeing it. 
but the good news is, if you do want to play it on the go and you don't want to, you know, um, haul your nez with a, a monitor on the train or anything like that, <laughs> um, they're going to be bringing it out on iOS and Android, oh, which cool. is really good. There's going to be a, a new version of it, apparently, which is going to be free to play. Um, it's going to be early summer this year, um, called Doctor Mario World, and apparently it's going to be a yeah, free download with um, in-game purchases. Oh god, uh, yeah, yeah. Nintendo love that at the moment. Yeah, yeah, but you know they're also doing a Mario Kart phone game as well this year. Oh, oh, yeah, which I'm very excited about. Um, that was meant to appear. I think about now, like March time, but apparently it's been delayed until the summer as well. So it's interesting how even though Nintendo have got their own portable console in the Switch, they seem to be going quite big on mobile, which is. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I guess they can do more more in-game payment on mobile. I don't know, because they had that Sonic Run one as well, didn't they? So good, yeah. And yeah. then I guess they're with uh, Niantic, who are doing the um, Pokemon Go, yeah. which the next one that they're working on is going to be Harry Potter. Oh, really? And that is going to be about a billion times worse, that they say. <laughs> and it will be using all the locations that are in Pokemon Go as well. Like an AR game? Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. So you're going to have everybody running around going... Catch the house elf. <laughs> oh, God. Just when I thought we, we'd stopped all that nonsense. <laughs> I remember, because my missus, like, you know, she's not a big gamer, as you know. Um, and do you remember when Pokemon... you were going on about Pokemon. You were a big Pokemon Go yeah, fan yeah, for a Yeah, yeah, I was you? out there with the businessmen fighting yeah. at three in the morning. <laughs> you take the mickey, but you were one of the worst. Yeah. <laughs> and then I remember the day... Because you had it before it got released, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I had the... Uh, American version. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because the day came out over here, um, I was in the pub with my missus, our local over the road, having a bit of food one night. And I said, oh, this Pokemon Go thing's actually, oh, I'm not interested in stuff like that. So I put up my phone, I showed her it, and she goes, oh, uh, I'm just, I'm just going to nip out to the car and get my coat. I was in the car park catching Pokemon <laughs> half an hour later. <laughs> get it. too addictive, those things. Oh, so definitely. Uh, and she loves Harry Potter, so yeah. That's yeah. going to happen all over again this year, no doubt. So before we get into our uh, chat this week with uh, Neil and the retro cave dwellers, Let's talk about this article that bizarrely has been all over. I've seen this on CNN. It's been on Lad Bible. A uh, man, Daily Mail. Yeah. A man discovered a 30-year-old Apple computer that, shock horror, still works. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really... I don't know if this is an example of lazy journalism <laughs> or an example of, like, everything breaking in two years that you buy nowadays <laughs> that people are genuinely shocked with it. But um, this... Physics professor basically tweeted out, you know, I found this uh, kind of old Mac. It's an Apple IIe. Apple IIe sitting yeah. in his parents' attic. He dusted it off and, oh, my God, it still works. Why is that a news story? You know, and he says, oh, he's found his old essays on there. And everybody's just put this tweet, his tweet yeah. out there and they've just copied the facts and then just copied the news article over to all these different agencies and it's not really newsworthy like if you want to see one go to your local computer museum i'll come to my house or go to dan's <laughs> house yeah there's probably 80 <laughs> but it's had as well a hundred and seventy thousand retweets it's, it's mad isn't it and it just shows how the kind of mainstream press like are really into retro stuff but surface you know they don't want to go deep with this stuff <laughs> <laughs> but i mean I, I love the pictures and stuff he's showing off and i was actually you know talking about finding his old essays and stuff on there um i so i got an amiga 1500 last week which um actually neil did a video about that didn't yeah. he um which was like the uk version of the amiga 2000 and while i was setting it up really nice condition machine i thought i need some discs for it so i've actually got a load of floppy disks are kind of away in storage Pulled them all out going through them. And I found a couple of disks marked um, homework 
<laughs> year, year seven. And I was like, oh, what's this? I looked at all my geography homework from school and all that again. I found them all, like, you know, from like the 90s, which is like nuts. Well, I've got this big pile of hard drives, and these are like going back to when they were 20 meg. Yeah. You know, proper old school ones. And I've just got to go through them one day. I like try and find out what OS is running on there, try and extract the information from them. But that's going to be, I might do some YouTube videos on it. That would be quite interesting. Yeah, rediscovering your past. One of them had my diary on from when I was like 12 years old, which oh, is God. pure cringe. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I might put that back in storage for another 20 years or so. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the fact that this article's been everywhere, cool that it raises attention of, you know, awareness of retro systems, I guess. That's, that's kind of good, but yeah. Dear Diary, I can't believe that Commodore's gone bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Life is that. not worth living. <laughs> that was my first heartbreak, that was. Yeah. So uh, if you didn't read that story and the rest of the stuff we've talked about this week, you'll find it all on our website in the show notes at theretrohour.com. Right, we'll have more news on next Friday's show and right now let's get into our special guest this week. Neil from Retro Man Cave, Andrew Dalton and Gary Pinker and let's talk about loads of retro goodness. Listening to the Retro Hour podcast, and it is time to welcome on this week's special guest. Well, in fact, we have more than one guest this week. We're going to have a really interesting chat with uh, a few old friends of the show and some new friends as well. First of all, let's welcome uh, Neil from Retro Man Cave back to the podcast. Welcome, Neil. Hello, Dan. Hello, Ravi. Thanks for having me. It's always nice to have you back, and uh, I know you've got a few friends with you today as well. Hello, Andrew and Gary. Hello there. <laughs> now, I'm sure that you know people listening to this will have checked out your channels on YouTube, but it would be nice just for people that might be new to it to get a little bit of an overview. So um, just kind of tell us a little bit about what you do and a little bit about your background. Um, we'll start with you, Neil. Sure. Well, my name's Neil. Um, I frequent the Retro Man Cave, which is a YouTube channel in which I explore all things retro tech, microcomputers, when I can, British microcomputers to share them with the world. But uh, more recently, I've been exploring some Japanese exotics with Gary's help, and he can perhaps tell you a bit more about that today. I've got to go on to Gary next, then, so uh, to tell us a bit about yourself, Gary. Hello, yeah, well, you know, anyone who knows me will know I'm, I'm really into my retro computing and gaming, and that's just stemmed from being a youngster, really, and getting my first ZX Spectrum. And, um, yeah, as Neil pointed out, recently I've been more interested in the exotics from Japan, because never had them over here, and just really fun to play with. Yeah, we definitely need to talk more about that in just a bit. But first of all, let's say hello to Andrew as well. Tell us a bit about yourself, Andrew. Hi, guys. Well, I'm Andrew, and I'm just a general kind of tech nerd geek. A lot of nostalgia around old school games. Grew up cutting my teeth on the BBC Micro and then the uh, Amiga. Uh, big fan of films, TV. I'm just a walking fountain of useless nostalgia information. <laughs> Well, one question we wanted to ask you guys, because you're both supporters of Retro Man Cave and you appear in his channel. Um, which video did you kind of see that really got you into his channel first? Well, for me, um, bizarrely, it was a trash the treasure for the Amiga, even though I'm not the biggest Amiga fan. So bit of an odd start to the relationship. I think it was the same video for me as well, the Amiga Trash to Treasure, which was just, I just absolutely loved the whole process Neil goes through, being so concise and 
relaxing and chilled about doing stuff most people would deem is impossible. Yeah, it was the yeah. same for the same for me actually as well. I think the my, the first video I saw of yours was that Amiga five hundred one. Did you like have a friend at YouTube or something? That video was everywhere. <laughs> it was everywhere, and it's funny you should say that. Did you have a friend at YouTube? I didn't, but um, I'm sure I've read somewhere that somebody very high up in YouTube is an Amiga fan, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if it got a bit of a leg up for that reason. Um, it's the video that brought a lot of people to the channel. This is going back to 2017, October 2017, and that was the big boost that kick-started Retro Man Cave. So it's a very popular video, yeah. Well, being supporters and kind of patrons of Retro Man Cave, uh, you actually went out to the cave and visited him. What was it like the first time you were actually on the set? The first time I visited Neil was when um, I met um, the back Andrew from the back office the same day because we did the Tari stream. Not the stream, the show and tell. The Atari Falcon show and tell with the Jaguar yeah. and Atari ST. So that was good fun. But I was really excited to go because, um, you know, you, you, you watch this person on YouTube and before you meet that person, they're almost like you see them differently. But, you know, once you meet Neil, he's a great down-to-earth normal chap and he's so nice to everyone. It's unbelievable. Oh, that's very nice, Gary. I was excited to have Gary come and visit, actually, because he brought with him the Atari Falcon, which wow. is a machine I'd never seen before, an extremely rare machine. And we put it through its paces on a live show with Andrew from the back office show. And um, it was a successful live stream, although I'm not sure the Falcon really gave it gave us its best, did it, Gary? Because there's very no. little software to actually demonstrate the Falcon with. It was Unfortunately, a, a powerful machine that was never really tested to its limits, although it is tested more these days with the demo scene and with the coders who are into it these days. But in its time, we didn't really get to see the Falcon uh, in its full force, I don't think. And Andrew, what was your first time in the cave like? Well, I'd actually met Neil previously at Play Expo uh, Blackpool, the first one in 2018. I approached him. I think I'm one of the first people to actually approach you and recognize you. Uh, walking around and I introduced myself as a fan of his channel and I think just through social media and through Andrew back office as well I got to got to know Neil and I was invited down to the cave for the uh, Falcon stream as well and uh, it was yeah it's it's rather incredible first time you're you're on set I mean you've been there Ravi you've seen it's it, it it's very strange to be on in a place that you've seen on camera so much yeah, it's, it's, it's very strange. And the thing is, Neil has lots of computers and consoles that are sometimes sent to him for repair and stuff like that. And exactly. you just don't get the idea of how small that place actually is. It seems <laughs> a lot bigger on YouTube. It is, yes, yeah, the camera does wonderful things. Although um, I can tell you about some plans for the cave to, to help with that, Yeah, uh, if you want to hear them, yeah? So... Um, the reason I have the cave, and it is a cave, it's a basement office, as you guys know, is because nobody really wants a basement office with no windows. So I managed to get a good deal, and it really works for the whole cave theme. Well, it turns out people don't want an attic office either. And so the attic has become available in the same building, and I get the keys to that uh, next week. And there's 55 metres squared storage space up there, so I can move all of the kit that I'm not using up there store it securely and really expand this studio space maybe have um, a second set because at the moment everything is directed at those apple crates with the rgb lights behind them so the idea is that i can now turn the camera and have a second set and just add a bit of variety to the to the to the videos so the cave is 
getting bigger. Well, how many computers and consoles you've actually got roughly? I mean, are they kind of like, you know, like the breeding overnight or something? Is it a load? Uh, <laughs> I've never actually stopped and counted, to be honest, Dan. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's over 100 here wow. um, on the shelves, in boxes, in cupboards. There's, there's, yeah, I've never actually counted. Is there anything on your hit list still that you you want to get? Oh, there's always a big long hit list. Um, the Sam Coupe remains on oh. the hit list. I think I mentioned that one last time I spoke to you. Um, anything exotic, really. The Japanese ones. Now that Gary's taught me how to buy and import systems uh, at a relatively reasonable price from Japan, I'm starting to get a bit more into those, and I've been importing things such as the Laser Active, which recently featured on the channel. Um, and I've also picked up some silicon graphics machines lately. So I've got um, a silicon graphics Octane, oh, which was God. a real high-end workstation in the 90s. With the upgrades that I've got in the early 90s, this thing would have set you back about £120,000. So, you know, more than the price of a house at the time. And if I can actually lift it onto the table because it's a heavy old beast, then <laughs> you will get an episode on that. So, yeah. All sorts. I'm always on the lookout for something new, though. Reinforce that table. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I, I found uh, a lot of channels that I watch on YouTube. They're often covering machines that are kind of very popular and other people have done videos on them. The Laser Active, I've never seen anything about that before. And that is an absolutely mad machine. Yeah, it's a it's a rare machine. Only 10,000 were ever produced. It was only sold in the NTSC regions in um, North America and Japan. And um, it came a bit late in in the 16-bit era. So around 92, 93, it came out. And what it is, is it's a LaserDisc player, first and foremost. So you just buy the basic LaserDisc player, which would have cost about 970 US dollars. I don't know what that is with inflation now, but that was expensive in the early 90s. And then for $600 a piece, you buy these packs that you slot into the front of the LaserDisc player. So there's a Sega Mega Drive pack, PC Engine pack. Those are the two games consoles packs. And then there's a karaoke pack and some other bits and bobs that I'm not as interested in. But the games consoles packs, they then integrate with the LaserDisc player. So there's a library of 22 Sega Mega Drive LaserDisc games that you can get for it, which are very rare indeed, and eight PC Engine LaserDisc games. Um, I'm not saying they're good games, being LaserDisc based, you know, they do um, steer towards FMV type games. And we all know early 90s FMV games aren't the best, but it can also play Sega CDs, uh, Mega CDs and uh, cartridges as well. In fact, I've got an EverDrive cartridge in there. So it just unlocks the whole library in this beautiful, big LaserDisc player. It's lovely. But as you'll have seen, if you've been following the channel, there are... I think over 300 capacitors in there and it has a reputation for leaking and we're three episodes in and we must be around 200 capacitors we've replaced on this machine it's an absolute mission and it needs doing because it's leaking everywhere and with the help of Mark from uh, the channel Mark Fixes Stuff he came to join me for this Trash to Treasure we have got it up and running we've got the Sega pack up and running and Gary will be very pleased because the PC Engine pack I have for it is actually Gary's. He loaned it to me so that I could demonstrate it on the channel. But like everything else to do with the Laser Active, it was leaking. So we've recapped Gary's PC Engine pack, and that's now working as well, as we'll see in next week's release. So, yeah, a real special rare item. And after all the work that we've put into it, it won't be leaving the cave anytime soon, that's for sure. <laughs> and it's great that you're kind of doing 
work with other YouTubers as well. Like I, I can see the the stress that both of you had when you talk about <laughs> it at the end after the recapping. Yeah, it was it was a mission. It was a huge mission. But working with other YouTubers, collaborating with people, um, and not just YouTubers, also people like Gary and Andrew, there really is an open door policy at the cave. I love people coming to visit. Um, I love working with them. And I love just sharing the computers that I fixed up with them. Just, you know, what's the point of fixing these things up if they're just going to sit on a shelf and nobody's going to get a chance to enjoy them? So there's an open door policy. Uh, obviously let me know first don't just turn up <laughs> gonna make sure i've got some tea bags in for you um and uh yeah it's it's great to work with people i love it well andrew i mean what, what kind of projects have you been working on recently anything you've been into just generally and continue brushing up on my uh, my knowledge my movies um recently got into laser disc so kind of a side thing to neil with the uh with the laser active um i've got myself a my first laser disc player it's always been a dream of mine got a bit of a an ebay bargain got a big stack of laser discs got in collecting it even though i've i've got 4k blu-rays etc there's something something romantic about the uh, about the laser disc about the physical media very much like vinyl a nice 12 inch uh, 12 inch sleeve and uh, fortunately i've had some laser discs uh, to be able to lend to neil uh, to actually play on the laser active because being an ntsc machine it can only play ntsc uh, laser discs so uh, that's been uh, quite a rewarding part um like i say i'm not always into the the gaming side i am slightly but always associated with it so I think I can bring a nice side side element to to things. Yeah, laserdisc. It's something we've talked about in the podcast before, and it's I, I don't know what the appeal is, but I think I don't feel like me. I remember seeing them in shops as a kid, and just seeing like a what essentially looked like a twelve inch vinyl sized CD. You know, it's like amazing me looking at the back of it. And it, it, exactly, I mean, um, I, I think my relationship with laserdisc goes back to when I was in uh, secondary school in the um, late eighties, early nineties. We actually had a doomsday. Uh, machine school we were very fortunate to do it and we had a uh, a rule in the school that you had to go through a sort of training to be allowed to change the laser discs on the machine because they were so valuable and i was one of the few kids in the class who was actually allowed to change laser discs and ever since then i've always been fascinated by them because they're so big they're, like i say they're like a large cd but they're so big and heavy and there's just something about them that they, they have a majesty to them there is something very purposeful about putting a laser disc in the machine compared to a DVD. It really is the start of an event, isn't it, when you're putting this huge laser disc in the machine? I love it. Yes. Well, Neil, you recently started uh, exploring people's collections with your kind of retro road chips. Uh, would you tell us more about that? I did. So, just like I have the show and tells in the cave where people come to show me things, I've started a new format, which is the retro road trip, which is a reverse show and tell, if you like. I go out to them and they show and tell me their collections. And because it was a new format and I just wanted to find my feet with filming on location, I'd never done that before. We started with Gary. He was actually the first retro road trip. So we went down to see his uh, very impressive collection. And I'm sure he can tell you more about that in a minute. And I just found my feet with using the, the cameras, using the lights in new locations, having to think on the spot. And... It was really well received. I was really happy with how well it was received because when you introduce something new to the channel, you don't quite know how people are going to receive it. They might just go, stop doing that. We just want to see more trash to treasure. But they really took to the retro road trips. So that then snowballed into the next one. We went to see Dave in Milton Keynes at the retro workshop and he showed us a Sinclair C5. So yes, there is the Sinclair connection, but it's not computer related. It was just a really nice piece of old retro tech. 
And we had great fun. We drove that C5 into a shopping centre in Milton Keynes, into a modern EV experience centre and parked it up next to some BMWs and just compared the old and the new technology. And in fact, I coll- collaborated um, on that episode with my brother, who happens to have a YouTube cha- channel, uh, EV Opinion, where he talks about electric vehicles. So there was a nice bit of crossover there for us to work together. What's a C5 like to drive? I've never driven one. Um, I actually really enjoyed it. But um, it's not the most comfortable because the steering, uh, the handlebars are below your thighs. So when you turn, if you turn too sharply, it catches on your thighs, or at least it did with me. Um, there's no reverse. So if you need to go backwards, you've got to put your foot out and push back. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not a refined experience. And it was raining that day so that we didn't have any covers. So we got pretty wet. Um, and Milton Keynes has the advantage of having cycle paths everywhere. I dread to think what it would be like on the roads with buses and lorries going past you. So it was an idea ahead of its time. And I really do think it looks uh, bang up to date. If you just look at the style of it now, that could be released today. And a lot of people do upgrade them with modern parts. um, And I imagine it becomes infinitely more usable then. But um, yeah, I I do have a newfound appreciation for the C5. Nice machine. Well, you mentioned you went to see Gary in there one of the road trips. And Gary, I mean, one thing I took away from that video is your your amazing Sharp 68K collection. So that's a really interesting machine. What what kind of got you into that? Bizarrely, I was talking to Andrew Dalton about um, CinemaWare games. And so we were talking about King of Chicago. And I kind of thought, oh, I wonder what other systems this is on. And then you look through the list, you're like, Sharp X68000, what's that machine? And then you look at the machine, you think, oh my God, what's this? And then I said to Andrew, I want one of these. And then Andrew goes off, talks to one of his friends, and then comes back with an offer to say, someone's selling this, they want this amount for it, do you want it? And I'm like, yes. And it turned up, and since that point, I've been quite addicted to it. Well, for people that might not know that system very well, I mean, kind of tell us a bit about it. Just what's, it yeah. what's it like? Well, it originally released in 1987, and for the time, stonking. You have to imagine it, it's like... 512 by 512 resolution and can show up to 65,536 colors at once. It's a combination of like it's a collaboration between Sharp and Hudson as well. So, you know, knowing Hudson, a great game company, all the chips are like superb. It's it's a Japanese Amiga, it is, it really is. And more than that, it was also used by um, Capcom, wasn't it, as a development, um, machine, development yes. machine for their arcades. So, you'll find a lot of the arcade games or the, the arcade ports for this machine are arcade perfect. Yeah, it's an incredible machine. Yeah, Final Fight is very good on it. Street Fighter 2, of course, is very good on it. And it's just it's just like one of those machines which you... It's like an amazing games machine, but also fantastic for productivity. Well, it looks incredibly sexy as well. Like the one that I saw that you had, um, you had the keyboard... Uh, doing RGB light effects alongside <laughs> the game, and it was yes. kind of reacting. That was awesome. Yeah, I think, as far as I'm aware, one game does it, which is Cotton, which is, um, yeah, so when you're playing the game, the, the LEDs light up in time to the music, which is a lovely touch, and not something I've really seen before on older systems. Yeah, the, these are very rare in the West, so uh, how did you get hold of it, and how did you get it across well, here? Well, thankfully, Andrew's um, friend or friend of a friend, he obviously imported one one day. He spent time and money like recapping it, like just refurbing it, and then, like I don't know, needed the money, got bored, not quite sure, and, and I managed to get lucky <clears throat> and, and buy it off him. 
But you have since built on that collection, haven't you, Gary? Yes, I went a bit mental, which is, you know, (laughs) so, you know, you find Bai, which is basically, you know, an easy intro to Yahoo auctions in Japan. And then you find out that if you search X68000, you get pages and pages of results, games, computers, and I just kind of kept buying them. I'm, I'm oh, not really sure why. Tell us how many you ended up with, Gary. I think it was 12. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I, it's I, probably worth mentioning as well, though, that for for those people listening who don't know, eBay is nothing in Japan. It's mm. all Yahoo auctions. So Bai is almost, it's a bit of an escrow translation proxy site, isn't it, Gary? Yes, correct. Yeah, I've started using it since Gary introduced me to it. And... There are some hidden costs you need to be aware of. So, for example, obviously something like a 68K, which is a heavy machine, that's going to cost you a lot in shipping. So you Mm. need to think ahead to that um, and insurance. And you can also pay a little bit extra to have things packaged really nicely so they don't get damaged in transit. But if you're looking at things like PC Engine, which is a really nice small console, or games or laser discs, you can actually pick things up for a really good price and get them shipped over really cheaply so it's well worth exploring it's it's mad to hear that people are still using yahoo <laughs> so, i didn't know they had an auction yeah. website if i'm honest <laughs> oh you guys displayed it at play expo alongside a Sobitech, and uh, that was awesome weren't you scared that like i would spill beer all over it or something <laughs> I, I was scared someone would and in fairness um quang what you mentioned as Sobi tech um if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have took it because um, he just basically promised me that he would look after it with all his gear he took. And he took some amazing rare stuff. And he buys a lot off the uh, Yahoo eBay as well, doesn't he? Right yeah, he way, told me a story challenge. where he, he had to raise his bed up to fit everything under it. <laughs> <laughs> what well, do you guys find? I mean, you know, with this all, all this collecting, I mean, um, it's a question for anyone, really. I know it's probably the same for me and Ravi. Do you find that you have less time to play games and with the hardware that kind of wrapped up in you know making the content and collecting and that kind of thing definitely definitely and i think that is why the live shows have crept more into the channel because the live shows are a chance for us to put three hours aside or at least it's for me to put three hours aside and just say all i'm going to do in these three hours is play on this system demonstrate the system and play some games and it's great for the guys to come along and join me and do that so i'm always looking for ways to actually use the systems more because when I'm in the cave, if I'm not making content, then Retro Man Cave isn't moving forward. And invariably, that content is repairing things, going out to see people's collections, having guests, not actually using the machines. So I am trying to use things more. I have started using Twitch recently. Um, I found that quite nicely, the cameras that I use to film the work I'm doing, they can record at the same time as output to OBS and stream. So what I've started doing is live streaming informally on twitch while i'm making the videos for youtube two birds with one stone and people seem to really enjoy that just as a kind of way to hang out see what i'm doing and invariably they say stop working on this and play on it (laughs) we want to see it in action so i do uh, get a chance then to play a little bit more with the machines takes longer to make a video but i am finding excuses to play on them more and more and I, i think leading on from dan's question there yes even with the stuff I collect, I don't collect a massive amount. I'm fairly narrow in that I'm more my originals, the Amiga, the BBC. But yet again, it's collecting and it's very little time from my day-to-day life, my real job, 
to actually have time to play. And even though we may look like professional gaming athletes on the live streams, <laughs> what? 90, 99% of the time when we are playing so bad on all these games, it's because they are honest plays. That It's the first time we've played so many of these games or the first time in 20 years we've played a game. If you ever try and live stream on your own, this is another reason why I love having guests to help me. If you're trying to read the chat and play a game, I find it impossible. I don't know how people live stream play games and respond to the chat at the same time it's mad it's like they're in some kind of meditative state yeah Yeah. yeah. and i think we quite like the the atmosphere of uh being sat there at the desk it's almost taking you back to when you were a kid and you 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 sat there playing a game with your mates and you're having a bit of banter with it and i think i think that's what we really enjoy about the uh the live streams and the thing I, just, I love about your live streams is it's got all three of you and they're kind of themed as well. So before, when we had Retro Man Cave, we were talking about the adverts that he had on. Now you're hooking up with a channel called Derek Findas Archive. <laughs> Derek Findas, the uh, the best kept secret on YouTube, as I've called him before. Um, how would you describe Derek, I wonder? <laughs> Have you guys seen Derek? Uh, yes, I, Derek's channel is very interesting. He's he's playing a character um, from Scottish television on a TV show called On the Spectrum, which he only reviews Spectrum games. He insults Commodore a lot, and uh, <laughs> he's he's kind of changed stars recently. So before he had all this uh, videotape noise and blurring in it, and now he's he's got a bit more high definition. But That's he's, right. He's still he, got he, describes, the humor. he describes himself as Scotland's most popular television presenter, with over thirty-five years of experience presenting one of Scotland's most popular shows ever, on the spectrum. He also says he has Dundee's most extensive crisp packet collection. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he's a man of his time, isn't he? Derek presents as if he is in nineteen eighty-four. Maybe he is in nineteen eighty-four. He, he presents it as if it's found footage, and. Um, yeah, I think we all went there at first for the ZX Spectrum games and then stayed for the humour. He's a very funny man and uh, it's a great channel. So do check out Derek Findas. We wanted to work with him. We loved his channel so much. We wanted to work with him, but we had to figure out how do you work with a man in 1984? So um, we had to come up with a plan to do a live stream with him. And we had a lot of help from Andrew, actually. Andrew wrote the first draft it was amazing. He essentially sent me a Hollywood script fully typed out as if he was presenting to Hollywood. Wow. And then this show, it was about 15 pages long and it was brilliant. And then we, we sort of whittled it down and worked through the script until we had something that would work with a live stream. We broke it down into scenes that would be interspersed with live gameplay. And um, well, Andrew, why don't you explain the premise of how we managed to work in 1984? Well, it, ultimately, we found a VHS tape that appeared to have been sent to us by a mysterious individual, which acted as a teleportation device that took us back in time to 1984, and the whole adventure began. It was just a bit bonkers, really, but uh, we had to think of some kind of a, a, a frame it as a plot device. I mean, one of the uh, original things about that live stream was it was going to be the Christmas pantomime. Uh, live stream but due to various pressures we weren't able to record it at, at Christmas which is why it was a bit silly so we recorded the live stream footage it took Neil a good while to add those award-winning effects and there's a lot more outtakes that people didn't see of it but we had so much fun recording it and I think I hope everyone really enjoyed it as well because it was just madness that one 
Yeah, I did get a little bit carried away with the editing. There's one scene which is a recreation of the game Pit Fighter in the Pit Fighter style with us in the crowd and Gary having a fight with Derek in all, all <laughs> pixelated with all the effects and all the sound effects. I love it. It was great fun to make. You must be really getting to kind of grips with the software and the whole streaming process. You've got a total different setup to when you were first streaming now. Um, the setup is the same. I've just learned how to use OBS a little bit better um, and to have all the scenes set up. If you, if you haven't used OBS, you have a list of scenes which you prepare and then you can you can click through them to change through the different scenes or to pre-play video, whatever it is you want to do. It's a really flexible system. I do. I have learned to love OBS. Um, and yeah, the setup hasn't changed. It's really just learning to use it a little bit better. The setup does need to change because not many people know this, but when we had the five minute tea break on the uh, Derek Findas stream, uh, the setup might have blue screened and we <laughs> very quickly had to restart it and get the stream back up. Um, so I think, yes, we may need some new parts to make sure that doesn't happen again. Yeah, for those who don't know, OBS is open source software, isn't it? Just made for live streaming. It's really good. It is. It's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Well, how did you first hook up with Derek? Do you know, um, I think he just appeared on my Twitter stream one day. Um, I think it was as simple as that. And I thought, oh, ZX Spectrum content. I'll have a look at that. Here's this guy with about 10 subscribers. And um, he was hilarious. As I said, we went for the ZX Spectrum content and stuck around for the jokes and the humor. And um, he releases a video every Sunday, Sunday night. So I look forward to that. It's only about five minutes long once a week. Um, I've yet to meet the man in person. He's a little bit shy, I think, so far at coming to expos and things. But I hope one day he will come to a play expo or something like that and we can shake Derek by the hand. Um, I say come to a play expo, come through time to a play expo. <laughs> Maybe he'll come as old Derek or something like that. Drive him in a DeLorean or something. Pull him out. Yeah. DeLorean C5, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, if people do want to check him out, like you said, you know, one of YouTube's best kept secrets, we'll put a link to uh, Derek's channel in our show notes as well. Um, everyone should definitely check him out. Um, and Andrew, I know actually speaking of other YouTubers, you work with the uh, the amazing DJ Slopes, who's a good friend of the show. Um, what yeah. do you do with Slopes then, and how did you get involved? Uh, well, I met uh, I met Dan through Discord. Um, I started watching his videos, joined his Discord, uh, patron, usual kind of thing. Got to know him, um, and uh, basically I'm his tech support guy, is my, my easiest... Uh, job description i tend to do um various things to do with this well, I, I even went as far as i built his new pc last year he bought the parts shipped them to my house uh i built the pc shipped it to him went to mexico the next day so i was popular with my wife night before we do to fly saying i've got to build a pc for a youtuber so i did that uh but uh, no i i admin his discord do the tech support i also help him uh, with various bits of uh, research uh particularly around things like uh kick scammers which is one of his series I really love. And I also help him uh, with the uh, do a bit of on air, almost producing with his live streams. So I'll moderate chat. Uh, at, again, uh, very much like Neil says, when Dan's playing a game or busy doing something, I'll relay the chat questions to him uh, back and forth, that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, really enjoy, really enjoy working with Dan. He's a top bloke. And his Discord is absolutely crazy. So oh, yes. <laughs> it must his be Discord quite hard is. to moderate that. 
it's it's quite interesting. I do moderate a few discords, uh, and Discord has really exploded in the past year or so. I mean, Dan's Discord particularly, because uh, he's just uh, been awarded a Discord official partner status, where he gets some extra perks from Discord. Um, but it's quite interesting, especially between being, say, Neil's Discord and Dan's Discord. It's just because the, the, the age range of the users is quite... Uh, quite different. They tend to be a bit younger, a bit more enthusiastic in um, in Dan's Discord. Maybe a little more opinionated, but I think we all were when we were, you know, when you know, ten, fifteen years ago, we were all a little more opinionated when we all knew how the world worked. Sounds like a school report: enthusiastic and opinionated. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there was a little teaser actually at the end of the Derek Findus live stream, where somebody else found the VHS tape that transported us back in time, on their doormat, and that person was uh, DJ Slopes. So that was a little teaser to the next live stream. He's going to come and join us to explore the Laser Active, which we talked about, and we're going to plan a live stream. Not quite sure what kind of twist we're going to put on it yet for DJ Slopes, but um, we'll come up with something and it should be a fun live stream, I hope. Well, I enjoyed seeing Gary's stuff and I know, Gary, you're really into board games and stuff like that. Do you plan on doing any further YouTube content? There, there may be a collaboration in the near future. Oh, exciting. And what, what are your fa- favourite kind of board games? Well, I mean, there's so many. I've got so many. I must have over 100 board games now. But, I mean, I do always go back to the classics like Catan and, like, um, oh, what's the other one? I love Quarriers. I don't even know that one. It's like a really cool dice one where it's all you loads of dice and you kind of, like, you build, like, it's like deck building but with dice. It's really cool. Nice. Quarriers. I was a talisman guy myself. Talisman? Oh, my that takes so long to play. <laughs> yeah, we used to have games going for weeks on that one. Yeah, oh, wow. but it's very it's a classic talisman. I got the third edition, I think. They keep re-releasing. I think the latest people who've picked it up were Fighting Fantasy, which they do a lot now, really. Yeah. They do that nice X-Wing game as well. And you keep getting those add-on boards as well that you could add on to the side and have extra dungeons, so it ends up turning into a huge game. Very much so, yeah. Are you a board game fan, Ravi? A little bit of a nerd, yeah. <laughs> oh, just well, a little. Interesting. Yeah. Um, on that subject, I fell down an eBay rabbit hole recently and I ended up buying um, board games, specifically VHS games, board games, which are licensed or licensed by or from software companies. So I've got Winter Olympics, the v- VCR game, <laughs> licensed by Ocean Software. And I've got California Games, the VCR game from Epic Software, uh, both board games with VHS cassettes. So my idea with these is to do a live stream where we can hook the VHS player into OBS so people can watch the video with us, have a top-down camera on the board, and we can have a, a board gaming session. So, Ravi, you're more than welcome to come and join oh. us on that. If you Yeah, if, if you're doing Atmosphere... I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, you little maggots. <laughs> <laughs> What's on these VHS tapes then? How does that work? I haven't played it yet. (laughs) I don't quite know how it works. Obviously, VHS is a linear format, so I don't know how it's going to work. But um, I'm not going to play it too much because I'd like the reactions to be genuine when we have the live stream. So we'll find out. Well, any kind of upcoming things that you're excited about at the moment? I know in terms of maybe like new hardware releases or software, anything that, you know, in in the world of retro that you're kind of excited about now? They are released. This is very sharp specific, but someone is actually very soon to release... uh, a new stock MIDI board. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, I have seen that somebody's bringing out uh, a port of Pinball Dreams 
for the Amstrad CPC yeah. for the 6128. That looks good, doesn't um, it? It looks really good. They've got it looking really smooth. So I'm looking forward to getting hold of a copy of that to try out. Yeah. They've really been pushing this EPC recently with kind of loads of new releases and I've seen some crazy graphics modes on there. Yeah, well, I think now that most people have Gotex or other floppy emulators for these devices, it just makes it a lot easier to distribute games um, digitally to get them out to people so that they can actually play them. So I think that might have helped to accelerate things. And of course, we'll all get into an age where we're looking back and thinking, I wish I'd coded something for that system that I had in the 80s. And if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. So I think there's a lot more people trying to get into it using the modern tools that are available for coding retro systems. And yeah, we are seeing a flurry of new releases. It's really nice to see. And I think they're a bit more documented now as well, that people kind of know how they work and the the tips Mm -hmm. and tricks to get the most out of them, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, you guys together, you're kind of the supporters of Retro Man Cave. But what other channels have you guys seen that, other than Derek Findas, that you think you might be supporters of in the future or that you think need a bit more attention? There's a few channels I like which I don't currently support, but then you can't support everyone because I wouldn't be able to afford to eat. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I like a few people. Like on a, re- on a retro tip, I think he's really good. And I oh, love his, fantastic. like, yeah, he's really good. Um, Game Dave, I love. I don't know if you know of Game Dave, but he's so funny, I think. Um, Trishta Bites is another new kind of newcomer who does a lot with like Quang, who's quite interesting and does a lot of cosplay as well. If you like that sort of thing, um, Dubious Engineering is um Howard. He's a he's a friend of the cave, isn't he now? Yeah, Howard's a good guy. Howard's fairly local to the cave uh, at Dubious Engineering, um, and he contacted me out of the blue actually when I did the Electron episode because that was the machine he had as a kid. So he just wanted to come visit, see the Electron, and a, a friendship kind of bloomed from there um and he has his own channel and lives entirely up to its name dubious engineering sometimes things don't go well but when they when they go badly they go spectacularly badly and he gets it all on camera which is good fun to see and a ravi's oh, building because ravi's doing yeah. doing an amiga with you isn't he building an amiga laptop isn't ne- it? next yeah. video is power it up and see if we blow howard's shadow <laughs> <laughs> Well, here's yeah. a nice that nice little question I thought I'd just ask you all, because, I mean, it's something we were talking about in the podcast recently. Um, kind of thinking back to, you know, Christmas as a kid. Um, I'll ask you, Wallace, we'll start with you, Neil. Any kind of amazing kind of computer or gaming-related Christmas presents or Christmas days that you remember as a kid? Well, the first computer I had arrived on Christmas Day, and that was an Amstrad CPC 464. So I had the Amstrad, I had the color monitor, I had the Amsoft pack and all the games that came with it. Um, I don't think it was even wrapped. I think there was just like a sheet or something draped over it. So I came down Christmas morning to the silhouette of what I'd been asking for for months. This Amstrad CPC knew immediately what it was and I couldn't wait to fire it up and start loading tapes. Um, Yeah, so that's probably my fondest Christmas memory. Um, I don't think I received any other computers on Christmas Day after that. that So that was probably the best, best Christmas ever. (laughs) What about you, Andrew? Well, I think for me, uh, I've got a couple of them here. Uh, the first one was going to my BBC Micro. I was um, four years old, and I actually remember it uh, really, really well. It was Christmas morning coming through in my, I think they were 18 pyjamas, and uh, going into the living room, and there was a BBC Micro plugged into the TV, sat on the coffee table. My father had loaded, uh, it was running Snapper, which was the Acorn soft port of uh, of Pac-Man yeah. at the time, and it just blew me away, and that was my first introduction to computers. I hadn't asked for a computer, 
but uh, like I say, I was four and my parents decided to buy me a BBC Micro. So I was very lucky. It was a, a real machine to cut my teeth on. And uh, the, my, my love affair with computers continued after that. But then uh, my next Christmas memory would be, I think I was about 11, um, was getting my Amiga 500, which was a Screen Gems pack. And, oh, that was just incredible, getting the Amiga and just playing all those awful games it was bundled with and just loving them, just being blown away, drawing nonsense in deluxe paint for hours. I just came down for Christmas dinner for about 20 minutes, back to my room, and I just lived the whole Christmas school holidays just playing Amiga non-stop. It was, it was fantastic. <laughs> what games came in Screen Gems? What was bundled? Screen oh, Gems? Oh, his favourite game, Days oh, of don't. Thunder. <laughs> Days of Thunder was in there, which was absolutely horrendous. It was uh, Days of Thunder, Nightbreed the Adventure Game, Back to the Future 2, and Shadow of the Beast 2. Yeah. Shadow of the Beast 2, not a film. Yes, it was the odd one, odd one out yeah. in the bundle. It graphically a beautiful game with that amazing intro with the um, the roof being ripped off the house by the the monster, mm-hmm. but very difficult to play and maybe not that great. See, I, I don't think they got Shadow of the Beast right until the third game, which not many people seem to remember all that well. But that was my favourite of the series. I I never played Shadow of the Beast three. I've learned about it since uh, uh, since uh, you know getting more into retro again. But at the time, it was it was never a thing for me. Shadow of the Beast three, unfortunately. But I remember the intro to the Back to the Future two, putting loading that up and being absolutely blown away by this amazing rendition of the Back to the Future theme, the animation of the car taking off and flying as at the end of the film, going through time, and then playing the game and being like. Yeah, it's not very good, really. <laughs> but, you know, that's the one thing coming from 8 bits into, like, a 16-bit machine. That kind of jump, the fact that it could even do animation was, like, jaw-dropping, wasn't it? Oh, to- totally, totally. And it it was incredible. I mean, I was lucky that um, I had a, few, a lot of friends who um, provided me with other games, um, as, as was common on the Amiga. But uh, I just remember it was just it was mind blowing. See, going from a BBC Micro, which was a fine machine of its time, and then the quantum jump to a, to a, to the Amiga and what it could do with the sound and the graphics, it was it it was just a, a light years away. It was incredible. What about you then, Gary? You got any kind of memories of Christmas as a kid? Yeah, I mean, I can't quite remember the age. It must have been eight or nine, I'm thinking. But I was given a ZX Spectrum plus two for um, Christmas one year, which was the Curry's Pack, which came with 10 games and a grey joystick. And that kind of, that stopped my path of being into sports and on the path of gaming. (laughs) So all these years later after Christmas, did you guys kind of think you'd be uh, stuck in a cave looking at old computers? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. Um, I, I don't know. know what happened. I was always very forward think, forward looking with technology. I was always buying the latest um, Matrix or Voodoo graphics card, spending all the money I earned on the checkout at Tesco's or wherever I was working at the time um, to build the latest machine. And then something happened. I don't know if it was the turn of the millennium or what it was that started making me look back. Maybe I just got old, guys. Maybe that's just what happens when we, you get None old. of us want to admit that. None of us want to admit that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and uh, when it started, it really snowballed. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's hard. Once you start, you can't stop. Because the crazy thing is, as a teenager, my Atari ST, I used to throw the boxes away because they took up too much room. Yeah, I don't think anyone realised that these things would have value like 20 or 30 years later. 
No. And that way, like, I have shelves full of Atari ST boxes. And it's, I mean, like, my, you know, my wife, my, you know, bless her, lets me have three rooms of our house. Wow. <laughs> you right. can see those rooms, actually. Yeah, if you watch the retro road trip when I go to Gary's, you can see all that. But speaking of the value of games, Gary has been trying to complete his ZX Spectrum. Is it your Codemasters collection, Gary? Yes. And you found, you found, was it today you found one of the last games you needed? Yes, I needed Wrestling Superstars and DJ Puff. Um, I managed to secure Wrestling Superstars this week, thankfully, and it's just DJ Puff to go. But the last time it sold on eBay, I think it went for 300 quid. So £300 uh, for a uh, Codemasters. A little bit nervous. What was a Codemasters budget title? It's crazy. God, you just wish, you like you, you know, if you had a time machine, maybe, maybe get Derek to buy a few and uh, <laughs> stash him for 30 years. <laughs> Well, gentlemen, it's been wonderful having you all on. Um, great to hear some of your stories as well and keep up the great work on the channel. And uh, if people do want to check out any of these videos that we've talked about, we'll put them on our show notes this week as well. It's been a pleasure. Um, I know you guys like your Amigas um, and I've been working with the Swindon Museum of Computing. They've given me a stack of broken Amigas to fix up and try and get back to the museum so that people can enjoy them and put them on display. So expect lots more Amiga content soon. That's what we'd like to hear. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much, guys. Thank Cheers. you. Thanks yeah, for, having, thanks for us. having us.